Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 193. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Thanks, as always, for tuning into the show. I really do appreciate your support. Today, I got on the show Tori Clark, and I absolutely love talking with Tori. She is so down to earth, I could talk to her for hours on a multitude of topics. I met her after I interviewed the CEO of SAP, Bill McDermott. She works for SAP now, and and she's the Senior Vice President for Corporate Affairs at SAP, but she was also a Senior Advisor for Comcast Corporation from 2004 to 2013. She was a former Pentagon spokesperson. I remember seeing her on the Second Gulf War where she was out there a lot, where she worked uh, for Rumsfeld at the time, and she was out there on the front lines answering the questions on a day-to-day basis. She's been an ABC commentator. I've also seen her on uh, George Stepanopoulos' show on ABC on Sundays, making the roundtable. And she's an author of a couple books. Uh, her latest one, A Survivor's Guide to Washington, and the one that I read, Lipstick on a Pig, which I think is just absolutely f- a fantastic read. And if you're into understanding communication in a crisis, this book is a must-read. A lot of insights from her on how to deal with this kind of age of transparency, how to uh, communicate in almost any crisis or in averting a crisis. And um, that's the takeaway I got from this this conversation with her. And I think as leaders, we need to understand, we need to embrace the technology, not hide from it, understand that it's it's constantly changing. We can't you know, always go back to the old ways. We need to ad- adapt and, and learn how to communicate in this uh, rapid age of uh, social media and, and everything. And so that's the big takeaway I got from talking with her. Don't be afraid of the communication. Embrace it. Learn how to adapt and deal with it. And regardless of the medium or whatever the latest hot trend to communicate is, um, if you're authentic, you hit it up front. Uh, you don't try to hide things. You're just authentic. You're transparent. The truth will end out at the end of the day. You're always going to survive it. And so I think that's important as leaders that we understand that. We tend to try to shy away from bad news or bad things. And, and Tori has some great examples in this conversation in this and, and how we should just hit it head on. And uh, so I just love talking to Tori. I think you'll like her her answer to the question, the five uh, people you'd invite to your dinner party. She's just a fun conversation. It's a little longer than 30 minutes, but I think you'll enjoy it. Here's Tori Clark. Tori, so glad to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thanks very much. Great to be with you. You know, you and I uh, met, um, you know, we talked about a month ago on a whole separate matter. And I just, after talking with you and then reading your your book, I was just so fascinated with this whole topic of uh, communication and leadership. You know, it's one of the topics when I go and present that we could talk about it forever and you could just never just scratch the surface. You have been in some of the, oh, I can imagine what I call communication firefights. Um, you've, you've kind of been there and done that and seen it all with with the Gulf War and working for Rumsfeld and, uh, and McCain. How, where do you think we're at with uh, with leadership and communication? I mean, we're, it just changes so rapidly. It changes so rapidly, and while I honestly believe that 15, 20 years ago when I would say communications is important and you need for your position or you need to advocate for your company with your targeted audiences, and I believed it then, 
Now I think the information environment has become an existential question for organizations large and small. If you and I were talking five years ago, we probably wouldn't be talking about Twitter and Instagram, etc. If we were talking ten years ago, we wouldn't have been talking about Facebook. And technology has enabled this tremendous volume and velocity of information of all kinds. And it has begun to have, it truly has, huge impacts on how organizations compete and succeed or fail, how governments uh, thrive or don't thrive. Think about people like Mubarak, right, uh, president of Egypt for however many years, 30, 40 years. We could have predicted that over time Mubarak wasn't going to stay there forever, but it was information technology, it was social media that brought him down so quickly. And companies will tell you where they might have a small crisis 5, 10, 15 years ago and they could contain it wherever it occurred, say it was in one of your plants in a particular state or in a particular country. Now, information technology eliminates those boundaries, eliminates those barriers. And so information flows at this incredible pace, this incredible velocity and volume, and it has real bottom-line impacts on people and organizations and governments. So now, when I'm working for, for instance, I work for SAP now, I give um, off-the-record advice to people who are in office or are thinking about going into office, and I say, if you're not prepared to fully engage in this environment, then don't get into it. So because what, it's that important, it is that, that critical to the success or failure of you or your organization. Yeah, I can see on both sides where it could be a, a benefit and a curse at the same time. And I'll, I'll, Absolutely. I'll, I'll show you some examples. But I think that how do we get ahead of it? I mean, especially now, especially with, with – and the higher you get up in the leadership chain, obviously the more or the bigger the spotlight is on you, the more important that uh, you got to deal with the reality, that perception is reality. I mean, it's something we got to deal with all the time. How do you get ahead of it? I mean, yeah. What are some of the things that you, you tell leaders to do to stay kind of ahead of it? Uh, a, they have to accept reality. And a lot of them don't want to, right? right? A lot of them would rather focus on making the best widget or dealing with a particular group of people at their company. They would rather not deal with it. But first, they have to accept reality and understand it's an important part of the organization's abilities. And then two, I think they have to apply the same rigor and discipline to the information environment and their activities as they would to any other aspect of the business. For the longest time, communications, information, whatever you call these things, always considered sort of the softer side of the business, right? right. Non-revenue generating, well, yeah, you know, somebody wants to be a press sound, God bless them, but that's not me. And they could kind of push it to the side. And they didn't really apply organization and discipline and rigor to it. And now I think if you, A, accept the reality of it, and then B, say, okay, I want to do this well, what do I do? You take the same kind of processes that somebody would, would put toward creating the next greatest widget. Right? right, and you start with um, you start with what are we dealing with here? What's the what's the environment in which we find ourselves? What are the big factors that are, are are impacting our abilities to succeed or compete? And then you have to really, really work hard and clearly define what is it we're trying to accomplish. Right? What's our mission? One of my many great jobs was working in the U.S. Trade Representative's office, and this was in the '90s. And if you went and found 15, 20 people who worked there then, and as many years later as it is, and you woke, woke them up in the middle of a dead sleep, they could still tell you that the mission was to open markets and expand trade. And the strategy was to use multilateral organizations whenever possible and unilateral measures only when absolutely necessary. And Carla Hills, who was the U.S. trade rep, focused so hard on making sure everyone understood the mission. And that's, again, it's relatively recent thing in information environment and communications 
to focus on that, but I think you need to. And then you have to have a strategy, right? Just as you would have a strategy, oh, we're going to build the greatest mousetrap in the world, what's going to make ours better? You have to have a strategy in this space as well. And uh, the cliche I always use is, you know, you ask the football coach, how are you going to win the game this weekend? And the football coach says, stupidly, we're going to put more points on the board than the other guys. <laughs> That's not a strategy, right? right, right. A running game is a strategy. Well, if you ask people often in information or communications, what's your, you define your mission, what's your strategy, often they'll say, well, you know, we want to get really good coverage here. And we want. That's not a strategy, right? You have to decide what are our target audiences and what are the most effective ways to reach them. Excuse me. In this 21st century environment, so much more challenging than it was 20, 30 years ago because a lot of people get their information and their news and their entertainment in different ways. And if you've decided 18 to 25-year-olds are the most important ones that you want to target with whatever it is you're doing, then you better be in their space. And their space is social media. And by the way, they've moved past Facebook kind of still on Twitter, but more now it's about Instagram and Yik Yak and some other things. Right. So you have, to, you have to really understand the mission, really define and develop a smart strategy, and then you have to resource it and staff it and put metrics against it, again, the way you would any other aspect of your business. And I found, you know, sometimes more successful than others, but those executives who embrace, boy, this information environment is really important, can affect how well we can succeed or fail, and so they want to address it right. And those who apply rigor and discipline and organization to it just the way they do other parts of their business, they tend to succeed pretty well. Yeah, I love everything you say. And the thing I'm curious about or the thing that kind of drives me crazy is no matter what tool or medium, and, and you mentioned that it's shifting from Facebook for the millennials to Instagram and, and other things. But even at the bottom line, no matter what the tool or the medium is, it seems to me the thing that, that is lacking sometimes or where I see companies, organizations, or government gets in trouble is when they try to they craft the message too much. Now, I know part of communication is you got to make sure your message is getting across, but it still seems there's a lack of transparency and authenticity. And I know those are buzzwords that gets kind of overused these days, but it seems to be that people are craving for the truth. And what is really striking to me, with uh, especially over the last couple of years, it seems like the truth really doesn't seem to matter as much as it used to anymore. Now, is that me just becoming an old fuddy-duddy, or is that something that's really happening both, because it doesn't, it seems like you have to really dig deep to find the truth in any matter. What, what's your take on that? Boy, I, I have a different take on it. I think because the spotlight of information technology these days is so intense, it's so pervasive, it's so powerful, I don't think, I think it's, it's harder for lies and misinformation and, you know, shaving the edges. I think it's harder for that kind of stuff to hide. I think it puts an even bigger premium, uh, to your point, be, be clear, be simple, be forward, be direct, be truthful, because A, it's the right thing to do, obviously, and B, because the, the bad stuff, the lies, have nowhere to hide anymore. Nowhere. Right? Absolutely nowhere. So, A, tell the truth and be straightforward because it's the right thing to do. B, be smart. Right? So I actually have a different opinion on that. And there are people far smarter than I am um, who have written about the power of information technology and particularly the, the massive amount of information that can flow via the Internet that can bring out the truth and accuracy. There's a guy, John, I think his name is Schwartz from the New York Times, who did this really interesting analysis of all the coverage after the tsunami, I think it was in Thailand some years ago, 
And the first things coming out were all crazy, right? The instant right. crowd reaction out there of what was happening was crazy stuff, right? Oh, my gosh, it was because of this, it was because of that, it was because of black helicopters. But over five hours, 10 hours, 15 hours, people who actually understood geological things started weighing in, and they started giving real information. They started giving a far more complete picture of what had actually happened with substance and detail to it. And what you got, it wasn't instantaneous, but over a relatively short period of time, you got a truer, more accurate picture of what had happened. I can buy um, think, think about, I and mean, this is very close to Washington, D.C., but what's been going on with the University of Virginia and the story over the, the young woman right. who yep. claimed mm -hmm. she was raped and was seven people and she named a particular fraternity and things like that, um, very quickly... People have come forward, and they're doing a lot of this on social media and providing information and evidence that makes you go, okay, Rolling Stone really didn't get that right, and they really didn't get the facts the way they should have gotten the facts. No, great example, and you're absolutely right. And so, and I see your point, and I, and I, I agree with that. And I, maybe what I'm getting at then, maybe what I'm more bothered by goes to more or less about the communication, the transparency, because you know, let's just take Ferguson, for example, where you've got the, the district attorney went to extraordinary lengths to what, in his mind, was to get the, as more truth as possible to get out. But because of the social media spectrum or what has happened prior to all of that coming out, it seems like it doesn't matter what came out. Certain people are going to believe on both sides. They're going to believe what they're going to believe, regardless of the kind of transparency and the truth that pervaded yeah. in social media. What's your take yeah, on no, that? I, I, I know what you're saying. And a, a big source of frustration for me with with the internet is think about the amazing power of that. Think about the the variety of information and opinions and depth of information you can get if you want it. And you think in a political context, right? If somebody really wanted to be exposed to a variety of opinions and and theories on things and then make up their mind, it's a it's a wonderful concept. Unfortunately, the reality often when it comes to political or controversial things is people use it to validate their own yeah, beliefs, yeah, yeah. right? Instead yeah, right. of exposing themselves to a variety of opinions and things like that or a lot of information, they just seek other people who think exactly what they think, and that's too bad. And yeah. I think you're right. Some people don't really want to hear the facts. They don't really want the full story, and that really is too bad. But what I'm wondering, I don't know if this is true, but I'm wondering is if you go back to, say, during the Civil War, about that period of time in this country's history, there were hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of these crazy tabloid-like broadsheets. Yeah, really. And yeah, yellow, people could and did blue. write anything they wanted, exactly. and then they could they could absolutely print any and all lies they wanted about their political opponents or anybody or any issue, and there was nothing anybody could do about it, right? Right. And what grew out of that, right, the frustration with that kind of chaos and turbulence and misinformation, what grew out of that was what was a, a pretty much people will laugh when they when they hear this, but a golden age of journalism, right? right? They created things like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, etc. And for a long time, the premium for those organizations was: we're going to give you the truth, we're going to give you the complete story, the full story, the important context, those kinds of things. So I'm hopeful, and I'm ever hopeful. I'm always an optimist, and I'm like you know the kid. There's a, a pony in there somewhere. Um, that maybe out of this chaos and turbulence of the information environment in which we find ourselves comes some really good work and some really thoughtful, meaningful coverage of important things. And so not everybody, right, not everybody wants it, but people who do want the complete story, people who do want the important context can find it.
It's true. I mean, I guess that's there's never been a better time in history where the average citizen, someone like you and I, could go out and and if we really objectively could probably find the truth if you really stuck with it. And maybe what, what? We're, maybe what what's getting exposed is the kind of hypocrisy, right? I mean, it, it it's maybe or um, the kind of fabrication or the or the. I guess propaganda is the word, but I, I hate to even use that word. But it, it right. I guess it's kind of yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, you gave some good examples there. Where you're in no better time in history can the average citizen actually really, if they wanted to, find the truth in almost any situation or get it or ex- you can't hide anymore. Right. Yeah, you can't. Hide right. Anymore. If they if they really want to, they can. And again, I'm ever hopeful that more and more people will want that. And also, and I know this drives some people crazy, but the the ability of an individual to have enormous power. The, the enablement, the empowerment of an individual because of information technology is pretty profound, right? right? It's really pretty profound. Um, and that's a wonderful thing because go back, you know, I can I can turn any of my arguments on its head. Go back to when it was the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, etc., a handful of other newspapers, and then three broadcast networks. They overwhelmingly controlled what people in this country saw and heard on any right. given day. Right, so a handful of people mm-hmm. decided that. Now, that's right. you know, some people think that's fine. I think they actually did some pretty good work back then. But think about today. If somebody wants to participate via information technology, they can do it in a meaningful way. Yeah, and there's numerous examples of where the everyday citizen is actually exposed uh, exposed something just by taking action themselves. And I guess on the flip right. side, the bad side, you get some of the you know, some of the crazies and some of the loonies trying to tailor the message in any case, you're always going to have that, I guess. But yeah, that Civil War example is exactly right. I mean, the yellow journalism that existed back then was just kind of almost... Outrageous! Yeah, pales in comparison to what we deal with now. But uh, we, yeah. we're just on a larger scale and, and much more we're global now. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then I, this, I'm, I go down so many different paths, so you can rein me back anytime. But the power of video... Right? right. Yeah. Extraordinary. The power of video. So many views, opinions, sentiments, whatever, were changed completely with Ray Rice when that second video came out. Right. 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 That just changed everything for so many people. Or look at these cases that we've all been dealing with recently. Ferguson. We don't. Really, we don't know, very. Nobody was there. Right. We really right. don't know. Well, mm-hmm. you had one eyewitness, but he saw one version of it. Other people thought they had another version of it, but we really don't know. Versus, say, the kid in Cleveland or Garner um, yeah. in New York. Completely right? the different. Video just, yeah. mm-hmm. it, the video told you an enormous amount. The power of that is is pretty profound, and I don't know if we really appreciate yet how significant that might be. No, I agree with you, and I think from a leadership perspective, again, I think the more that you can be, um, again, authentic, and when bad news happens or when a crisis happens, to hit it head on instead of trying to you know, tailor the message and hit it head on. You talk about that a lot when you're dealing with the second Gulf War when you were working under Rumsfeld. I can't imagine there were probably, you you, you detail some of these in, in your book about how, um, okay, this happened, we weren't thinking about this, and you time and time again, you consistently remind us that we just need to get out in front of it right away and admit it yeah. and just go on. Why do we fight that so much? I, I guess it's just human nature, right? People yeah. don't like to make mistakes. People don't want to be embarrassed. Uh, they just think, oh, I want to draw attention to this or whatever. I did a thing recently with a group of people and some new members of Congress, wonderful, bright, shiny new members of Congress, and I just had two or three pieces of advice for them, and I said, look, 
everyone else will be telling you how, you know, do this so you don't make a mistake here and do this so you don't make a mistake there. You're going to make mistakes, right? Bad things happen. Small bad things, big bad What happens? So instead of putting yourself in a defensive crouch so you think you'll never make a mistake, know that you're going to do it and be willing to say right off the bat, I screwed up. We got this wrong. We need to do it differently. It's just, again, it's kind of the right thing to do, right? Think about what your mom and dad told you when you were in kindergarten. Sure. And as importantly, it's a smart way to, to operate because you can move on to your, your next task much more efficiently, much more effectively. So I'm just a big believer and understand that we all make mistakes. We'd like, we wouldn't. But just say, hey, I screwed up. Here's what we got wrong. Here's what we're doing to prevent it from happening again and move on. I just find it so much more effective. We, I told these new members of Congress um, one of the things, the, the, a rule we had at the Pentagon, and I've had ever since then, is any senior officials doing an interview, standing up at the podium in the briefing room, uh, giving a speech, answering questions from the audience, anything like that, if that person made a mistake, then the staff that was there, if they knew the mistake had been made, if somebody said something wrong or they got a figure wrong or whatever, they were obligated to raise their hand and say so, or depending on the circumstances, pass a note up to the person at the podium or giving a speech or whatever. And fortunately, it didn't happen that often, but it happened to me a couple of times, and I was so happy I could just stand at the podium and go, wait a minute, I said 35, and I should have said 45. Sorry, got that wrong. Right. Just, it just allows you to move on so much more quickly. And what we were saying earlier, the truth will come out, right? The yeah. truth will come out. You think you, people who think they can hide something, or people won't notice. They will notice. It will come out. I love the story you gave early on in your book, uh, Lipstick on a Pig, where McCain was wanting to get ahead of, of kind of the crisis um, and how he just kind of went against the grain, right, and against everybody's yeah. advice. And talk, yeah. talk to me um, a little about that, what most, you saw. Most people listening to you will be way too young to know the story, but there was, a, even by Washington standards, a major scandal some years ago. Keating Five is what these five senators were called, and they were all accused of improperly using their power and influence to try to make some regulators go easy on Charlie Keating, who was a big savings and loan guy. And four of the five senators decided that the way to deal with this, and it was a huge deal, and tremendous, tremendous interest by the media, tremendous coverage, very damaging. And four out of five of them said, we're going to go into a crouch. I'm going to talk about it. We're going to pretend it's not happening. We'll just try to push this off to the side. And McCain very consciously went the other way. And he said he got us all together in the staff, and he said, I can't do that. It's just not my nature, right? I've always engaged with our constituents. I've always engaged engaged with the media. So I think that's what I have to do, and I think it's the right thing to do is to answer every question. I will talk to anyone. I will answer every question. I'll say what I think I did wrong. I'll say where I think the accusations are wrong. But I've got to get out there and lean into this. And it proved to be tremendously successful. He came out of Keating 5 in far better, far better position. He actually got quite a few people who are willing to say, well, don't like what we think you did, but admire the way he handled this once it happened. And that was a tremendous lesson for me, which I've encouraged others to embrace again and again. Yeah, it's a great example, and I kind of forgot about that, that whole Yeah, issue. my favorite Washington trivia thing with the oldsters is to ask them to name the Keating Five. And uh-huh. very few people can ever remember them, and one of the reasons they can't remember them is because their careers really went downhill pretty quickly after that. And McCain's just the opposite direction. Yeah, interesting. You know, it's this whole idea of, again, you talked about human nature, and I think it is our human. I can imagine myself, even though I like to pride myself in saying, oh, I would do this. But when those things kind of happen, you tend to retreat, and you think about ways of, you know, I think you're right, that's human nature. And for him to do that, 
uh, and for you to witness that, that's, that's a great lesson to learn early on. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I was talking to Cheryl Atkinson the other day, the investigative journalist that left CBS. I don't know if you're Sure, yeah, absolutely. And uh, her book, Stonewalled, and we were kind of talking about this whole where the media is gone. And I'm interested in your perspective from being on the other side of being kind of scrutinized by the media in so many different situations. And I imagine you have to deal with the press now at SAP. Um, what is your take? It have it, From Atkinson's point of view, she thought that, um, you know, we've, there's generally speaking, if I broad brush it, that there's been kind of this loss of inquisitive um, holding people accountable, accountable journalism. And it's more of, yeah, they succumb to the pressure and they don't want to make anybody angry because it's a catch 22, right? I mean, like, I don't want to, you know, make the, the White House mad because then they won't ask me to into these briefings. So what's your take, right. what's your right. take on how the press has changed over the last yeah. 20 years? Yeah, I try not to make broad sweeping generalizations, but I think often, unfortunately, in this case, you can, right? And think about 20, 30 years ago when I first came to Washington, and I knew a lot of journalists, I still do, and I knew so many of them had gone into it because they wanted to inform people, they wanted to educate people, sometimes, sometimes prosecute, if you will, via their investigative reporting or something else, but they did. it wasn't this gotcha mentality, right? Right. And slowly but surely, I think a lot of people in journalism and the the world in which they operate has kind of fed this or encouraged this. They get up every morning and say, I want to take somebody down, right? Like they all want to be Woodward and Bernstein who, who brought a right. president down. And it's become conflict for the sake of conflict. So the White House press secretary, whether he or she is Republican or Democrat, stands up and says the sky is blue today. And a journalist goes, yeah, but we know it's going to rain tomorrow, right? right. Um, and I'm oversimplifying, but it's true. Journalism... A lot of journalism these days is about conflict for the sake of conflict. And I just don't think that benefits anybody, including no, the readers, the viewers, the consumers, whatever you call them. So that's my kind of sweeping generaliz generalization of it. And I know a lot of really, really good journalists who retired early or just got out of business because they were tired of telling their bosses, say, let's just I'll just pick on CNN, even though I like CNN and I watch CNN all the time. Um, they're tired of telling their bosses in Atlanta or New York, you know, that's really not a story. You may think there's a story there, you may think there's a conflict there, but it's really not a story, and here's what we need to know. And if I went on air, here's what I would say, and their bosses would say, you know, that's not really what our viewers want. And if those journalists say no often enough, then CNN says, ah, well, then you can step aside because there are 3,000 people who will take your job yeah. and do it the way we want. And that's really unfortunate, right? It's really unfortunate for everybody. So I think um, a lot of people like to think, oh, the media is so liberal and this and that. Eh, there's some of that. But I think it's more they've become such a conflict-oriented um, machine, and yeah. that's too bad. What I find interesting, and again, always trying to be optimistic, I know social media and bloggers drive a lot of people crazy, but also it's a different, uh, it's a different world. There are some people, say, in the blogging community that cover technology who are really smart and really thoughtful and trying to bring that context and that substance to the coverage of it. So now when I look around these days, I try to find the last of them where he can still hang on in conventional media, conventional journalism, and then I look into social media and say, let's find ways to build and maintain relationships with those who are trying to do a good job. Yeah, I love that. I, uh, I love your perspective on that because you're absolutely right. And as what I learned from kind of Atkinson talking to her, you know, she said, well, even think about it. I mean, the three mainstreams that that we're so used to from the Edward R. Murrow, Walter Cronkite days were, 
you know, that's where all we could get our information. You know, those kind of institutions are becoming less and less relevant, and that's just a reality. I mean, if it, the, yeah. from a percentage standpoint, if you look at how many people are actually getting their news from that, it's very minuscule. And so we kind of get wrapped up thinking that's the be-all, end-all, because that's still what's on our TVs, at least in from our generation because that's what's on, you know, that's what we've, we've done. But uh, the reality is not, not everybody's getting their information from there. So it's, yeah, it's a version of say 15, 20 years ago, some executive say I was working in an agency and and dealing with some executive and and he or she would say, you know, Kent, let's just pick on young people. You know, I want to reach the the 25 to 30 year olds and and say, okay, well then we need to get you on Don, John Stewart, or we need to get you on an MTV or something. They'd look at you with big eyes and go, you've got to be kidding me. Go, well, that's where they are, right? Why do bank robbers rob banks? Because that's where the money is. Well, if you want to reach young people, overwhelming majority of them, 10, 12 years ago, were getting their news and information from late-night television. So that's where you have to be. And now I had a, a, an executive recently, not my CEO, a different executive, complaining and saying, what are we going to do about these bloggers? You know, there's two or three people, and they seem to have so much influence in what people think about what's going on in our part of the world of technology. What are we going to do about them? And he was on and on and on. And I said, do you really want to change that? And he said, yeah. And his eyes got all bright, and he sat up. And I said, well, then get a different job, right, because <laughs> they're there. They're not going away. Right. I don't know what social media will be five years from now, but I do know right now it's a big part of our world, and so you can either accept that and figure out how to work in that environment or get into a completely different space. Yeah, well, and that's so true. And I think as long as you're always being authentic to who you are, what what's yeah. the downside anyway? I mean, there's always going to be somebody writing something bad about you or trying to take you down. But if, it, you know, the, I tend to believe, I'd like to believe that the truth always, you know, rules out. The truth will always come I, to the surface. And if you stick to your values and who you really are, then you got nothing really to worry about. I think you can weather almost anything. I think you're right. Yeah, I think if you're consistent about it, right? Consistent, yeah. If you if you stay in it for the long haul and you engage through a variety of channels with a variety of audiences, and yeah, I think you're right. If you're consistent and you stay in there, then then over the long haul and the greater percentage of the time, you're going to be fine, right? There will always be things you don't like. There will always be bumps in the road. There will be somebody that doesn't write it the way your mom would, right? But in general, you'll do better. And I just don't think you have any other choice. Right? I always challenge people around me going, hey, what's wrong with this theory? What's wrong with this strategy? Somebody give me a different option. But there aren't too many other options. Right. Well, what's exciting for you right now? I mean, when you look out there in the space, both in the corporate arena, in the political arena, in the communication field, what is really exciting to you right now? Wow, the speed. The speed. I love the speed and maybe of it all. Maybe that's because I've got a very short attention span. Um, but I love the, it, it's scary, but I love the speed and the velocity of how information rockets around. And I love how, uh, if you've got, if you've decided this particular segment of an audience is really important to us and we want to get to them with this information, you can do it and you can do it so quickly. And I like that. So I like the speed and the pace of it. And I also like a little bit of the, my bosses I'm sure would not like to hear this, the fear of the unknown. Right again, we should have an, another conversation in a couple of years and say, okay, what words do we not use? Because a few years ago, we wouldn't have used Twitter or Instagram or Yikyak or Snapchat or anything like that. So what is, for my world of information and communications, what's the vocabulary? What will be um, impacting people's lives that we don't even know about yet? I find that fascinating. Yeah, that is kind of exciting when you think about it. I wish I, I'm always banging my head against, oh, what, 
can I f- be the one that figures out the next uh, you know, Instagram right. or something? You know? right. But then, in the midst of all of it, in the midst of all of that, one of the reasons I love, love, love radio, absolutely love and adore it, is because it gives you time. Right, right. right. It gives you time mm-hmm. to have a conversation like this where you can take a topic and you can actually spend a little time on it and you can look at it from a couple different ways. So... Um, maybe I'm being selfish, but I want it all, right? Yeah, well, I'm with, you, I'm with you on that. I mean, I love technology. I'm not afraid of it. I love radio, like you said. I mean, I love doing this. This is my favorite thing to do is have conversations like this. But I tell you, it, the speed doesn't necessarily frighten me like it frightens some people. I, I'm kind of with you on that. I think I know where you're coming from on that. Yeah, yeah, I think some people want to be able to debate everything, hash it over, craft every single word, every single syllable, and, and torture every single word and every single syllable, removing any risk whatsoever. And I, I just, I, A, I don't have the attention span for that, and I don't think it's very effective. Yeah, well, yeah, I think significant things only happen is if you get about 75, I'm the 75% rule guy, you get 75% of the information, right. let's make a decision and see where it goes, and then we'll yeah. adjust. Yeah. I think that's what organizations, I wish I would see more organizations do that. I wish more people in their individual lives would do that. That's why I think what, what. Yeah, what's the? There's some. What's the great saying? I'll get it wrong, I'm sure. But right, if the if the turtle doesn't stick his head out, he's never going to get anywhere. <laughs> right. You got to stick your neck out. That's right. right? If you're yeah. if you want to make progress, you have to stick your neck out there. Doesn't mean you're silly about it. Doesn't mean you don't think about how you're doing. It. Calculated risk, I guess. Um, you've got to do it. And there are tremendous opportunities in the information space now to do that. Yeah. I'm curious about who your heroes are. You know, I always I love asking this question as we kind of wrap up. Aww. Is um, if you could, you know, and I'll phrase it this way: is if you had the ultimate dinner party, if you and your husband could have this just really tremendous one night only night of engaging conversation, entertainment, whatever you wanted to do, the sky's the limit, live or dead. Who would those five people be? Ah, oh, that's great. Ah. Uh... Terrible these things on demand. Okay, because so I was talking to him earlier today, my 93 year old father, oh, who is amazing, mm-hmm. absolutely amazing, practiced medicine for 65, 68 years, something like that, sharp as a tack, can talk about anything, right? Napoleonic military history, the Armenian background of the Kardashian family, right? Anything. <laughs> absolutely it. one of the greatest dinner party guests ever. Now, hearing's not as great as it used to be, but absolutely we'd have him there. Uh, Churchill. Oh, talk about choice. talk about taking the knocks and coming back, right? And and thinking I'm part of something more important than me, more important than just our people. This is about the future of civilization. Being willing to come back, so I would say Churchill. I would say, oh, and I was just I was telling stories about him the other day. Mo Udall, who was a Democratic member of Congress from Arizona, and just to me the epitome of the kind of person you want serving. In Congress, wow. I think we need more Mo Udalls these days. You need to check him so out. That's three. Uh, Rumsfeld, just always cool. hilarious, so funny, so provocative. Just when people think they've got something figured out, right? He comes up with something else. Right. Uh, and Oprah. Oh, I've seen Oprah in large events, small events. I sat in a room full of 750 people in a ballroom once, and every single one of us truly believes and continues to believe today she was speaking exactly to us about how to get the most out of your life and not in a, you know, not in a schmaltzy, goofy way, right? Very meaningful, very tangible ways. Um, and I think she's done amazing things. I think she has really transformed, motivated, consoled so many people. So 
That's five. What a great choice. Yeah, well, who's in yours? Who's in mine? Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I, I would have um, my mother and father again. They're both gone. I would definitely have them. I Churchill was one of my choice. I definitely Churchill Good. has been mine up there. I had I go back and forth because of the fourth and fifth. Some it's it, between a toss up between Lincoln and Adams, and Lincoln seems like an obvious choice because he seems kind of you know it, he's the guy that everybody talks about, and, he, and he's the most popular yep. president. But I, I I'm really curious about Adams because of the founding and what it was really like and what the debates were like, and um, I, I just find him fascinating as a as a president. Yeah, know. that's a good one. That's a very good one. In the fifth one. Yeah, you know, and if you could expand, right? I think Johnson would be fascinating. Johnson Same would reason. be good. He, right? You yeah. you might have agreed or disagreed with his, his policies, his beliefs, but boy, talk about working hard. Yeah. Talk about being delivered a, a pretty tough hand, right? Yep. Um, I, I, I find him fascinating. And maybe I'm just, I'm so influenced by Cairo's books about him, which are just the most brilliant things ever written about anybody in U.S. politics. Uh, yeah. But I think he'd be fascinating. He'd be hilarious, and he would bring bottles of whiskey. Yeah, he would be, yeah, he would be the, he would, <laughs> yeah, I could just see it. No, that would be fun. I think my fifth one would probably be, there's so many. I mean, I think it, oh, yeah, I know. gosh, but I think for the moment, I might have, and it sounds cliche, but I just, just because from, a, I, to, to, I have Steve um jobs on there i think i'd want to talk to him just for a little bit even though because i i'm more interested not so much about the you know how he started apple and all that it's it's more the transformation i'm really i got a sense of it you know he really transformed himself as a leader um going from almost uh, egocentric and as he neared death obviously it was a whole different kind of ball game for him. yeah that's a very good point and not too many of them ever do that no right no 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 you have the leaders and you you know them and you talk to them and you study them they tend to have one path, and he clearly changed. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting one. I know it sounds kind of cliche because everyone thinks, oh, because he's no, Steve Jobs. No, I don't it, think so. Because I, I, I think the, when most people think of Steve Jobs, they think, okay, brilliant guy, but he's kind of weird and this and that. Um, I don't know too many people who have reflected on the fact that he took two diff- very different paths yeah, to he, running that organization. He had a, a major, a major transformation that that kind of gets skimmed over, I think. And I'd really want to dive mm-hmm. into that. I mean, he had a real major transformation from a, a personal leadership perspective yeah that's so, a good one well guys this is so much fun i love talking to you and and i'm so glad to, to have met you and um you're doing great work with sap the book lipstick on a pig is a great read anybody who's interested in kind of the behind the scenes of what it's like to deal uh communicating communicating in crisis and uh it's got a you know kind of a back behind the scenes political side to it too um it's a really great read so um guys thanks for God coming bless on you. how can people how can people get in touch with you how can people find you or or, or read your book yeah the, the easiest is i i think you can probably look at a copy of that book on amazon god bless amazon um let's stick on a pig and it's tory.clark at sap.com that's way to reach me awesome tory thanks for coming on the show Thank you so much. Take care. And I really love talking to Tori Clark. I could talk to her for hours. I think she is just so fun, so down to earth, and so honest, and such great advice for us as leaders. Again, I highly recommend that you go read Lipstick on a Pig. It's got some great advice for all of us out there. And again, it's all about, as leaders, we need to make sure we learn how to get the story out. You know, make sure that the story is the truth, right? You know, there's something appealing about her kind of own up, stand up, 
and speak up philosophy. And I think that's that's the big takeaway that I get from talking with Tori. There's so much we can learn from her. So go check her out, her book, Lipstick on a Pig. I'm going to read her new one too, A Survivor's Guide to Washington. If you're kind of a political junkie like me, you can see the behind the scenes. She's uh, seen a lot of stuff, so I really appreciate having Tori come on the show. And again, thank you so much for being a listener of the show. I couldn't do it without you. If you haven't done so at the time, please take the time to leave a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps so much for the visibility of the show and to attract new listeners. And again, reach out. Drop me a line at uh, richard at doseofleadership.com and let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. And if there's anything I can do to help you, I'm always here to help. Any advice? And also, you can always book me for speaking, coaching. You can also check out my online leadership course at uh, doseofleadership.com. Again, thanks so much for tuning in the show, and we'll see you next time. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.